Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every week as he talks with the greats of the game. You are the smartest guy I've spoken to on radio or television in my career. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. By rallying research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research, man. You're the best. You're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golf community. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job, and your listeners are super lucky to have you, and it's always my pleasure. Chris Garrow is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. I really appreciate you coming back and making Next on the Tee a part of your weekly golf content. This week, I've got four more great guests that I have the privilege of sharing with you. First up tonight is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Following TP, I'm going to be joined by former tour player and a guy who has been a fantastic guest on this show, going all the way back to season one, episode number three, and that's Bob Friend Jr. Bob's going to join me about 25 minutes from now. After Bob, I'll be joined by another great tour player, John Cook. Always enjoy getting to spend some time with Cookie. He'll join me a little bit later on in the hour. And then we're going to round things out tonight with a visit from Luke Newland. Luke and his family own Whiskey Run Golf Club up in Ontario, Canada. And he also started a great T-sheet software company called Birdie, B-I-R-R-D-I is the spelling of that. Can't wait to hear about all the great stories and the things that they've got going on up there at Whiskey Run. Luke's is going to join me at the top of the next hour. So there you have it, folks. We're going to have a lot of fun over the next 90 minutes or so. And as always, thank all of you so very much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I want to start out tonight by reminding you about our friends at the Macklemore, which is a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole, as a matter of fact, is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction, which will open summer of 2024. The Outpost is another Bill Berg and Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled with a golf hole. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both the course and the hotel have incredible views into historic Macklemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You gotta see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. Go online to macklemore.com to book your stay and play package today. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin Grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. 
If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. All right. Now back in next on the tee with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. As you know by now, if you want to play your best golf ever this season, reach out to Tom via his website, TomPatry.com, and set up a golf lesson with him at Club Champion down in Naples, Florida. Or go online and use the V1 video app and select Tom as your instructor and send him videos of your golf swing through that app. You can also follow Tom on Instagram at TomPatryGolf. Be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel. I preach about this every time he comes on because you're going to get over 300 free video playing lessons on there. I take my ear pods and the cell phone with me to the driving range when I go so I can watch and put those tips into practice right there on the spot. And as always, it's such a privilege to have Tom back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? boy! <laughs> Hey, Tom, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, Chris. Man, it's uh it's good to be back in the Northeast right now. It's uh it's, I'm I'm right in my old stomping rounds. I'm same with some friends in Greenwich, Connecticut, and a couple miles from Westchester. Played Wingfoot the other day in Westchester Ooh. tomorrow afternoon late. We'll sneak out round and just uh it feels good. It feels really good. I bet it does. I can't imagine the whirlwind tour that you've been on. I gotta imagine the miles that you and the white beast have put on over the last couple of weeks have got to be tremendous. So Chrissy, I'm trying to think how many days ago it was, but I, whatever it was a week ago. Or so I, I gave a couple of quick lessons in the morning and uh, I started to get, I was going to go the next day, but I said, I'm going to get out of here today and just drive as far as I can. I drove from Fort Myers to some flea bag in South Carolina, got some sleep, got up nice and early. And I drove from mid South Carolina to Portland, Maine. Wow. Uh, which was um, quite a trek on 4th of July weekend, which was really nice because when I got to New Jersey and I was really smart, I said, I'm going to jump off in 95 and hop on the Garden State Parkway. The traffic went something like this. And all, <laughs> all of a sudden I was in this chaos that lasted from now. Think about it, I'm driving from South Carolina to Portland, Maine. So I want to get there. I mean, I want to get this over with. And I get in New Jersey and from New Jersey to somewhere in early new hampshire i was in the middle of the indy 500 at 25 <laughs> miles an hour it was, un- it was it was so painful it was unbelievable i bet it was um so anyway so i was, I was in portland maine for a couple of days with some friends and nieces up there on vacation with a family family friends of ours and uh, i consumed most of the lobster in the northeast united states <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't think i left much for anybody else and I'm then jealous. i went uh, from portland i went to I had a, I had a really treat. I had a big treat. I, I I played golf with the current president, Dave Moore of Titleist, Wally Uline, ex president, and um, Sean Sullivan, who's the new CFO of Titleist at Old Sandwich, which was on my bucket list. Oh my! And it's a core cruncher, and I'll tell you, Chris, I heard so much about it. And you know, when you hear all these, you know, when people build a place up like that, you know, you kind of set yourself up for a disappointment. Well, guess what? Core Crenshaw never disappoint. Never. Um, Old Sandwich is the real deal. Playing with those three guys was a bunch of fun. And uh, we had a blast. And then I got in the car from there and drove just about 30 miles and, and did a golf school at a place called Cohasset, 
for the membership there, uh, full day school. I got in the car that night and drove to Greenwich, Connecticut and did a school the next morning in Wilton, Connecticut at a place called Rolling Hills for a fellow named Ray Ford, who's the professional there and just welcomed me and did, we did a wonderful job there with that school. Got up the next morning and was joined by one of my Epson tour players who's here staying here for a tournament this week. And we played uh, Wingsfoot with our host, the Knobloch family. Uh, and then the last today and the next two days, I'm coaching practice rounds with her at the Epson tour event at a place called Great River, where they start on Friday. And then uh, when she starts on Friday, I'll get in the car and drive directly back to Florida. Other than that, oh. not much going on. Just a, just a short <laughs> hop, skip, and a jump. Put about 3,600 miles on the beast, and here we go. Wow. Are you tired yet? Because I'm tired. <laughs> I, 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 I just <laughs> say, I'm tired of hearing from the story. Oh, I'm having to be in the car with you. Yeah. So that, that's the uh, that's the glamorous life of a teaching professional right there. You got it in the capsule right there, my friend. Fantastic. Tom, I want to start out tonight by giving credit where credit is due. Last time we got together, you said not only would Ricky Fowler win this season, you said he would do it that week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, and you were spot on. Well played, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, I that was that was that was a stupid call on my part. That would have, uh, I wonder what the odds in Vegas would have been on that one. I, I could have been retired by now, and you and I could have been drinking pina coladas in uh, in, ba- in Bali. <laughs> But uh, I, I, I just thought he was going to win for the end of the year only because everything was trending so well in the right direction. And, and, and especially the fact that the putter was back. And he's, I think he's jumped 120 places in, in uh, strokes gained putting. If I, you can check in that. But he's jumped a bunch of places and certainly was swinging at it better. And you could tell he was just – even his step was better. The body language was better. So I thought he'd do something before the end of the year. And what an unbelievable fairy tale that he – he wins the Rocket Mortgage and one of his main sponsors right there. And the way he wins, it was incredible. Um, so good for Ricky, huh? Really good for golf. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Butch had talked about Ricky obviously coming back and they're working together. And early in the year, I heard Butch interviewed and he said, you know, I think Ricky's going to win multiple times this year. And now that he's gotten this one off his back, I know we only have a handful of tournaments left. But it seems like once you get that that monkey off your back, if you will, that frees up players mentally and uh, to go on and win multiple times. Do you think Ricky wins again? Can you see it? Can he ride the hot streak? You can't, you know, you know, know, as well as I do, we've been doing this a long time together. It seems like when, when a player like that gets warm, they stay warm for, you know, four to six weeks. So, you know, could he? Yeah. I mean, he could, I mean, but I also think that it's so deep out there right now and there's so many good players. Um, It'll be tough, but, would I put it past them? No, I wouldn't put it past them. When you get warm like that, you know, and, and you get going, that you know, you can you can rack them up pretty quick. Uh, it it wouldn't surprise me, but it'd be tough. It would be tough. Ricky is currently twelfth on the U.S. Ryder Cup's point standings. As you know, they get the top six are automatically in, and then the captain gets six more picks. If the U.S. captain were Tom Patry, Ricky Fowler, a member of your team. In a heartbeat. I mean, you got to ride the hot streak, right? And you got to get ride the guy with confidence. Uh, yeah, 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 no doubt about it. He would be on my team. Tom, we frequently talk about short game with you. Short game, short game, short game. Wedges come in a variety of bounce options. For those of us that tend to go into a big box store and buy our wedges off the rack, how do we know if we've got the right bounce for our course conditions that we're playing? 
when you buy a, a, any club in 2023, 24, in the future off the rack, you should be, um, well, maybe a baseball bat or shot or something, you know, <laughs> you, know, you know, you know, thrown off of a building, something like that. Um, so you shouldn't do that, first of all. But if you were going to do that, and please don't do that. If you're listening out there, please do not do that. Cause that's what mascara would do. And I, I, I oh. I'm trying to save his life oh. every single week, every single week. I'm trying to save his life and I haven't been successful yet, but I'm trying. I, and I'll keep trying. Brutal. folks. I, promise. I won't give up on him. I, I love him. I'll keep trying. <laughs> but if you were going to do that, you have to, you, and Chris is perfectly correct about this. You have to examine your course conditions. Um, and the softer the turf in general, and this is a very general statement. This is why you don't do it this way. The softer conditions, the, the higher bounce you want, because you don't want the club to dig. Um, and, and the firmer, and this is, again, this is very general, the firmer, the lower the bounce you, you want, because you want to you know, keep the leading edge against the ground and, and be able to compress the golf ball. And that's, that's such an amateur way to explain it. But uh, bounce is a very important thing, and people don't understand bounce. They, they should be educated more about bounce. If anybody out there listening needs more information about bounce, I have a whole file saved in my iPad and I can send you 15 different graphics that would make you understand bounce a little bit better. So if you need that, don't hesitate to email me at tpatriotmindspring.com. I'll send you as much bounce ex explanation as you'll ever need in your life um, from that file. Um, but it's something you should educate yourself on and understand and feel free not only to email me for the graphics, but any questions you might have about it. Tom, switching gears a little bit. This week we learned that Jay Monahan is set to come back to the PGA Who? Tour. Who? Yeah, Who? exactly. After his quote unquote health issues, he's supposed to come back next Monday. My question is after all the things that he has completely messed up over the last 18 months, does anybody oh, Chris, want him back? Not, oh, Chris, now come on. Chris, <laughs> you're picking on poor Jay. Stop. Don't be doing that, Chris. That's not nice. Not poor nice. Jay. Poor Jay. Yeah, or Jay making making a zillion a year and then hiding out when when you needed them when the, the most. when the going yeah when the going got tough yeah so what you know Jimmy you handle this and and, right. and Ed Her Ed Herlihy you handle this you know um, listen oh I I'm really conflicted about this on one side I'm saying the guy got absolutely roasted but on the other side I'm saying you know what he kind of set himself up to get roasted so um. Listen, I don't want I don't wish bad on anybody and certainly, certainly not concerning their health. Um, he certainly got an uphill battle from a PR standpoint with his players to overcome. Is it overcomable? I don't know. The, the tone out there right now is awful negative uh, and, and is being pointed in Jay's direction by, I would think, almost a majority of players. And I'm just going by what I'm hearing, reading and seeing just like you are. He's got some serious, serious damage control to do if he's going to, you know, stay in the fight. Um, I think the next four to six weeks, him coming back will tell us a lot. While this deal finally gets some some kind of structure to it, the role he plays in that deal and his explanation of the deal to his to his players will will play a play a huge role in whether he he survives or not explaining the deal to the player. I mean, who's going to trust him? Who's going to believe him? I well, just can't I, believe that the players, the policy board, the nine 11 families, the fans, I don't know that you can trust anything that Jay tells you. anymore. 
Well, that's like I said, that's that's the damage control he's going to count. I don't think ultimately the, the deal will be presented by Jay himself. It'll be presented as a board, and and maybe there'll be a, a voice from the board that will do the presentation. But you're right, Chris. He's he, you know he's created he's created his own damage. So whether he survives that or not, I I really don't know. I mean, I I kind of agree with you. I'd have a hard time sitting down and listening and believing Jay Monahan right now as a, as a player, I, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not a Jay Monahan hater. I'm going to tell you right. I know you are. I'm not. Um, I, a small part of me feels a little sorry for him. He got roasted, but again, the other part of me feels like, Hey, you roasted yourself. Yes. Um, but you know, I'm, and again, I'm not a Jay Monahan hater, but I, I would have a hard time as a player right now listening to anything he has to say. Agreed. Switching gears, as you know, a couple of weeks ago after you, I had Rob Labritz on the show and I was really hoping Rob was going to win the U.S. Senior Open that week so I could take credit for that win, you know, a little next on the credit. team magic. You, you take credit for that? <laughs> Absolutely. I would have 100% taken credit if he had won the U.S. Senior Open. He ended up finishing tied for fourth, which he did as well last year. But the crowds love Rob and every time you see him, he's got a smile on his face. Seems like a guy who's sort of one like Ricky one break away from getting over the top and getting a win. feels like it won't be long before he does. You know, as you know, Chris, Rob Roberts has been a friend for a long time and nobody pulls harder with the exception, maybe his wife and his caddy for Rob than I do every week. Um, I, I'm a big Rob fan and, I, and I, I know how hard he's worked to get, to get out there. The story is a fairy tale story really right now. Um, and he's, you know, he, he's really played well in a few spots, both his first year, now his second year, in some really big events on some big stages. Um, and as we both know, looking back, he won the qualifying school. He won the senior tour qualifying school to get his card. Uh, so he, he, we, we know he can play. It's well documented he can play. And it's like anything else. It's right golf course, right week, right situation, right, you know, right, right, right mood. And, and off we go. It, again, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Rob Wolfitz won an event or more than one event before the event, the, 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 the year was over, it wouldn't shock me one bit. He's got that kind of talent. Um, and again, nobody pulls harder from than I do. And certainly now you do, because you would take credit for the win. If, if it was <laughs> five weeks removed from his appearance on the show. So exactly. I would. Of course you would. Of course you would. And then after you won, you'd ask him bet that lead off of the Red Sox too. Why not? <laughs> there too? So, uh, but again, kids got guys got all kinds of talent, man. He really does. He, you know, he hits it pretty good off the tee. He's got a good tee game. He's a very nice iron player. He, he's got he's got a good short game, and he and he puts the ball reasonably well. And the biggest thing he's got going, Chris, he's got an unbelievably positive attitude. He just doesn't get down. Uh, he's body language is great all the time. So, you know, listen, let's 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 you know, let's all say a prayer that he that he makes a couple of putts and something falls his way. It would be fun to see it happen. Absolutely, it would. Tom, the guy who did win the U.S. Senior Open is oh, Bernard Langer. Oh. And he sets the all-time record in Champions Tour history for wins, and he does it in the you know, grandest way possible by winning a major. And the guy turns 66 years of age next month. So he continues to outplay guys that are nearly a generation younger than he is. This guy's just simply amazing to me. Herman the German. Unbelievable. I mean... You know, 40, is it 46 wins, Chris? 46 wins. It's not like it's four wins or six wins. It's 46 wins. 
And he, he broke a record that Hale Irwin set that we thought would never, ever even be close to be touched. Uh, I think I think third now is Trevino with 20-something, maybe. Right. Which was which was amazing in itself. And the, and the run Hale Irwin went on was phenomenal. We never thought it'd be... This guy just broke that record. It's just... And, and like you said, it, he's not 56. He's 66. Folks, he's four years away from 7-0, and he's winning golf tournaments and beating guys that are 50, 16 years younger. Right. Um, I don't really think that the general public really understands truly what they're watching, what, what's really happening here. Um, I'm going to make another crazy prediction, pal. He's going to win a tournament when he's 70. Yeah, that, that would be the thing, right? If he's going to win a golf tournament, because he's not going to stop, by the way. You don't right. think he's not, he's not going away. Right. Got, if, 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 you, if you put a mask on him, he looks like he's 36 years old. I mean, the guy's in phenomenal condition. I mean, and he's not going away and, and he, and he doesn't want to go away. Um, it's a, it's just, it's just a phenomenal record. It's just, uh, it's one of the great records in sport. It really is. You know, how great is it going to be when 68, 69, 70 year old Bernhard Langer is playing Tiger Woods in a champions tour event and they're coming oh down the stretch at the head. How oh great God. will that be? I didn't even think about that. That's a crazy thought, isn't it? And it doesn't, <laughs> didn't even cross my mind you know i mean bernard's in a wheelchair tiger's got a crutch and a canyon and here they go <laughs> i mean it's just i mean it's craziness right it's just insanity the guy's amazing he really is amazing i mean here's the guy not only that chris but in his career overcame the yips not once but twice right okay overcame the yips twice in his career some guys you know have one day of the yips and they're gone you never see him again ever yeah, he's it's it's he's a he, he is a freakosaurus, man. He really is. Yes, he is. Tom, we've got the Open Championship coming up in a couple of weeks. This year, it's being played at Royal Liverpool over at Hoy Lake. You've gone over and played some of the Great Links courses over there. Have you ever been to Royal Liverpool? I have not been to Royal Liverpool, although I've, I've, you know, stud- I've been to a lot of them, Chris, and I've studied all of them. Um, and it gets very, high, very, very high marks with the players. It's, it's, one, of their, it's one of their thumbs up places. Um, and it's one of my favorite, you know, besides the masters and I, and I'm going to get booed off the stage for this one besides the Masters, It's my second favorite major to watch. I just like the, the quirkiness, the bounces that, you know, the, the weather conditions. Weather, yeah. I, it just always something cool happens or crazy happens. Um, boy, and there's a lot of guys playing good at the same time, uh, as it seems it always is nowadays with, with majors, there's so much talent out there, but. You know, it's one of the ones I really look forward to watching. Those of us that have never gone over there to play a true link style golf course, how do you think the approach of the game is different from what we're used to playing here in the States? Well, I think the average, and I, and I, I don't say this with any negativity, just a fact, the average American player is used to green and lush. And there's no such thing as green and lush on links golf courses. It's, it's, it's green. It's brown with a little sprinkle of green here and there. Uh, it's very, very firm, very, very fast. It can be very quirky in the bounces you get. Uh, the greens don't generally putt very fast uh, in comparison to what we're used to over here. They putt slower. Um, so it's almost like American golf upside down and backwards. Um, and then, again, like we said earlier, you throw in the weather conditions and differences and flighting the ball and being able to control trajectory is, is crucial is crucial and understanding the effects of wind, uh, 
with your golf ball if it gets above the horizon at all is paramount. So it's totally, it, it might as well be a different game. You can call it something else besides golf as we know it. It's not the same at all. And it really takes an awful lot of patience in those conditions and how rapidly they change at times, as well as the condition of the golf course to get around there and keep your head on your neck. We spoke earlier about wedges. And when you're playing Lynx golf, I got to imagine your wedge setup is a lot different because it's more of a ground game over there. Is there a need for something like a lob wedge? Only when, only when you get in the bunker that's, that's, that's deeper than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, <laughs> it's very different. You know, and, and I always grew to love it. And I've, I've been to Scotland 15 times, Chris. Um, so I've got a pretty fair amount of experience over there. And I always liked it and enjoyed it. And some Americans don't like it at all. They go over there. They're disappointed in it. But, you know, I grew up on the east end of Long Island, out towards Shinnecock. You know, and Long Island, as you know, if you've never been there, if you have been there, six right on the Atlantic Ocean and in the fall and the spring, we get some pretty nasty weather and we get some pretty windy weather and cold biting weather. Um, and I, you know, I remember back in playing, I can, I'm 64 years old. I remember playing high school golf on the East end and we started in mid March and it was still basically winter and it'd be howling out there and you, you had to be able to hit the ball pretty low and, and we hit some knockdown shots and punch shots and fighted shots. And I always enjoyed that challenge. I grew up, I grew up in that challenge. Then I went to college in Florida at Florida Southern. And again, I'm in the wind again. So I spent most of my career and life in the wind. Um, so I enjoy that kind of a challenge. I, and I enjoy hitting partial shots and flighted shots. If you grew up in pristine weather conditions in, in upstate New York or in Michigan or, or in Western Pennsylvania or, you know, somewhere where, where you're, you know, any, any of the inner corridor places, and you never played in wind and you played in lush conditions, you have no hint on how to play that kind of golf. And it, it can be pretty shocking the first time you're exposed to it and you either grow to love it or you, or you absolutely hate it. Uh, so it, it's, it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely different. As we look ahead to the Open Championship, we talk about how Ricky comes in hot. Who do you like to be at the top of the leaderboard come Sunday afternoon? You know, I, I, I always I always bite my tongue when I say this, and I and, and it always disappoints me and disappoints you. We've talked about this off the air a lot, but I, I, you got to look at Rory. <laughs> wow! But, but he, you know, he he's done a wonderful job recently in <laughs> bed coming down the stretch. <laughs> and, and you and you know, I've had multiple conversations about that in the, in the morning off off air. Um, you know, so I mean, you got but you got to put him in. You got to put him in the mix, um, Ricky, because he's hot. You got to think about that. The guy who's disappointed me this year, and I'm just waiting for him to break through and play well again, is JT, is Justin Thomas. You know, I, I just don't see how he, I, he's just too good a player to be this bad this long. Um, you know, your man Spieth, who, who I, I'm not a big Spieth fan, but the way he puts the golf ball, you got to think he has a chance and he, and he loves being creative uh, with, with his short game. So you throw him in the mix. And I, and I, and I, I, I gotta believe that someday Xander Schauffele is going to win a, win, win a major, you know, I mean, he's just too good of a player not to, right. um, you know, and then if you want a really long shot I mean, a real long shot on the European side, this kid, Ryan Fox has played so well this year on the European tour, won multiple times, you know, he, he's from, he's from, uh, New Zealand, I believe. And he, he's had, he has some wind experience. Um, and, he, and he's played, and he's played in tough conditions in Europe. 
he's had a wonderful breakout year and he's probably 36 or 38 years old and just suddenly, you know, caught lightning in a bottle. So there's a long shot for you. Um, who do you right. like? Chris? Well, I'll tell you what, here's who, and I was going to tell you the guy that I like, and just because he, he played well last week and he's, he's a great iron player and a guy who won an open championship a couple of years ago is Colin Morikawa. Yeah, well, he's he, a guy that I've been waiting all year to kind of figure it out and get back on a hot streak. He's a wonderful and, talent. And, yeah, and then you know, last week when Ricky won, it was in the playoff, and and Morikawa was in that playoff. So yeah. hopefully his game is rounding into form, and uh, he's got experience. Obviously, having won a couple of years ago, I wouldn't put it past Colin Morikawa to be a guy no, that's no, uh, no, right that's, there. I, I think that's got to be a great call. I think that's not, that's not a bad call at all. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against him. I wouldn't bet against him. So, Chris, uh, before I let you go, before you let me go, please, please let people out there listening <laughs> know how they can get in touch with you and how they can follow you on social media. <laughs> oh, that's well, that's your line. That's I'm my sorry. line. I'm yes, sorry. this one. This is my show. You can do all that stuff when we're on I'm, Instagram. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I'm so confused. I'm sorry. I understand. So, Tom, how can our <laughs> listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you online and on social media? Folks, is, is this guy, is this guy, folks, you out there listening, is this guy the best in the whole world? Is he not the best? <laughs> I mean, he, great guest, great, he tees you up with great questions. You know, he, he almost gives you the answer to the test before you take the test. He always makes, <laughs> he always makes you look good. He's always concerned about where you've been traveling and, and, and where you had a flat tire on the interstate. <laughs> but he, if he wasn't a Red Sox fan, I might marry him. I might oh, marry him. best. Oh, how bad are our Yankees and our Red Sox? Are they just no, that bad? Stock down. Just, Stock down both teams. It's just they suck. They yeah. they just tear. I mean, oh, oh, oh. I, I said a bad word. Sorry. Glad <laughs> you bleeped that out later on. It's just so, it's so painful to watch these two teams, is it not? It is very painful to watch them play baseball because what they're playing is is so such a poor brand of baseball. Oh my god! Which is not like either franchise as much as I hate the Yankees. Oh, oh, it's, it's, these it's just, franchises are not doing themselves any favors right now. I know at some point this season I'm going to break a flat screen. I know I am. I just don't <laughs> happen. It's just coming. I'm just trying to save my extra change up to buy a new one. I know it's going to happen. I just can't take it much longer. <laughs> With you. Okay, Chris, it doesn't matter where they follow me. It matters where they're following you. Folks, Tuesday nights, next on the T. Don't miss it. When does the football show start, Chris? When does the football show start? Yeah, not till after we get all the way through the golf season. So right after we get through the the tour championship and uh, and that sort of thing, and we'll go through the Ryder Cup this year. So it's probably going to be a little bit later start on the football season. And, and, and tell, the folks out there, tell the folks out there listening when that is. When does it come on? What nights? Thursday night. Thursday night tailgate. I mean, it's unbelievable. And it, I, I've become a fan of that one too, folks. The guy is the best. He's the best in both of these worlds. Make sure you tune in. It's unbelievable. I'll see you in two weeks. Leave me go. I'm going to go to sleep now. <laughs> all right, Tom. Always good to spend some time with you, my friend. You do need some sleep and all the things that you've been doing and that long drive you got ahead of you. Thanks, Thanks Dave. All the best to you and uh, and the missus. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right. See you, Tom. Bye-bye. That is the great Tom Patry. Again, TomPatry.com. P-A-T-R-I is the spelling of his last name. TomPatry.com is the website at TomPatryGolf. On Instagram, he's just the best. I love that guy. Look forward to having him as part of the show every other week. He makes the show so much better and so much fun. Can't wait to catch up with him in a couple weeks. Hopefully, he's made the long journey back home and and is rested up by that time. But uh, just a wonderful human being and a fantastic teacher. Go out there and subscribe to that YouTube channel, folks. You won't be sorry that you did because 
is going to take your game to new heights, and you get to take it right there on your cell phone. You're out there on the driving range watching the playing lessons, got your your ear pods in, and then the lessons are going to be fantastic. You're going to play better, and you're going to have a lot more fun on the golf course. Love Tom Patrick. We'll catch up with him again in a couple of weeks. Coming up next is going to be former tour pro and one of my all-time favorite guests and a longtime supporter of the show going all the way back to episode number three ever of this program, and that is Bob Friend Jr. Before I get to Bob, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year, and I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX Full Face Wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arco's and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arco's Caddy. When you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold, eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to Construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T.com, and use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. Now next on the tee with me, and I'm honored to say this, for the 17th time, is obviously one of my all-time favorite guests, and that's Bob Friend Jr. Here's how special Bob is. He first joined me all the way back in Season 1, Episode 3, and as you guys know, this is Season 10 of the show. So Bob agreed to come on a show he never heard of with a guy he never heard of, and his appearance really helped get this show off the ground, which was a pretty great thing for him to do. For those who don't know Bob's background, he's from my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Played his college golf at LSU, where he helped them win the 1986 SEC Championship. Bob had 11 career top 10 finishes while at LSU. He won the Western Pennsylvania Amateur Championship in 1984 and 85, and the Pennsylvania State Championship in 85 as well. He turned pro in 1987, played on the Corn Ferry, PGA, and Champions Tours. He had five top 10 finishes his rookie year on the Corn Ferry Tour, including a second-place finish at the El Paso Open. Got his first win at the 1991 Fort Wayne Open. In 1998, Bob won the Panama Open and finished second in the Canadian Open. And over the course of his playing career, he finished in the top 10 27 times. In 2003, his high school, Fox Chapel, inducted him into their Hall of Fame. And if you're a baseball fan, you'll remember his father, Bob Friend Sr., who pitched in the major leagues from 1951 to 1966, mostly in Pittsburgh with the Pirates. 
and was a key member of the 1960 World Series championship team that would go on to beat the New York Yankees when Bill Mazeroski hit his famous home run in the bottom of the ninth in Game 7. And I am privileged to have Bob back and next on the tee with me. Hey, Bob, how are you, my friend? Chris, I'm doing great. Thank you for the kind words, and it's hard to believe. It's uh, been on here 17 times, but you do a great job. You're always prepared, and I uh, always love talking golf with you. I appreciate that very much. So, Bob, it's been a minute since I got to have you on the show. Catch us up. What's been going on with you? Well, uh, you know, I, I stopped competing. You know, I'm still a member of the PGA of America. My status is I'm, reti- I'm a retired member, but I've been a member of the PGA for 31 years. and um, I competed this year for the first time since 2017. I've played in the Pennsylvania State Senior Open. They were, they gave me a sponsor's exemption. They asked me to play, and I went over to Williamsport Country Club, and I finished, you know, finished tied for fifth. I shot 70-72, which was even par, and missed the playoff by three shots. But I played pretty well first time out and competitively in six years. And as Bobby Jones always relayed, that there is golf, and then there is tournament golf. Um, but really, it's just uh, I run a very large office for Howard Hanna Real Estate Services. Um, Howard Hanna is the largest family-owned real estate company in the United States, and uh, we're across 14 states. We have over 14,500 agents, and I'm the manager of the Squirrel Hill office. I had a very successful real estate career for a few years, and Hanna asked me to become the manager of the second largest office in the state of Pennsylvania, and the fourth largest out of about 450. So I am. I'm very busy with real estate, managing over 60 agents in my office. I play, been a longtime member at Oakmont Country Club, now 51 years. And I'm very fortunate to have grown up there and still play my golf there. And uh, usually play about maybe once a week out at Oakmont. And still, you know, I've, I've always kept a handicap. And uh, my handicap is currently plus 2.6. Wow. So, yeah, so I'll usually shoot anything between 68 and 73. Unfortunately, I shoot more 73s than 68s, uh, but I still get I still get around pretty well. And then, uh, you know, I've got three kids. They're all back here in Pittsburgh, and my youngest is uh, he's got a lot more talent in, in his little finger than I had in my entire body. He's 23, and he he hits it about oh I don't even know. I mean, his swing speed's between 118 and 126 when he stands on it. Oh my! And, uh, yeah, he's he generates an awful lot of power, but it's effortless power. And uh, my daughter and my son came back from Spain and Montana, and they're all back here in Pittsburgh. So everything is good, Chris. So you mentioned Oakmont, and Bob, I, I read in the Pittsburgh Tribune that Gil Hans is doing some restoration work out there at Oakmont. So when the U.S. Open returns there in 2025, they say it will require some increased level of skill to win, and I can't imagine how that golf course could get any tougher. What's he working on there? Well, here's the interesting thing. You know, Gil, we're very, very cognizant of the fact that, you know, you don't put a quote unquote mustache on the Mona Lisa. Um, so what we're, what we decided to do, first of all, you have to understand that in terms of Oakmont or any golf course, um, everything has a lifespan, such as bunkers. Bunkers have a lifespan of about 15 years. And then what happens is the drainage tile gets clogged up with Airborne silt, airborne contaminants, footboard contaminants. Next thing you know, you get a quarter of inch of rain and every bunker turns into a swimming pool. So the bunkers needed to be redone. Uh, when you have around 200 of them, it's quite, a, it's quite a project. And our irrigation system is about 30 years old. And so both were in need of repair. And so Bob Ford, the longtime head professional there, reached out and talked to us. I was on the board at the time. And uh, he discussed 
with Gil Hans, the possibility of coming and taking a look at Oakmont. Make a long story short. So what 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 Gil Hans has done is go go off of 1925 to 1938 photographs of the club. Anything that happened at the club beyond 1938, he is not considering because that's when Mr. Mr. Phones died in 1938. And so what he's doing is it, it's very unique um, where he is taking a look at each individual hole during that time period and deciding at what point in that time period was the hole at its very best in design. And so what he has done is that he's added some bunkers. He has, he has uh, taken out some bunkers. He has increased some of the hit, the landing areas and decreased some of the landing areas. With regards to the greens, he never touched anything on the interior of the greens. But what he's done and going back to old photographs is that he has enlarged the greens around the edges and given us some hole locations that we have not seen at Oakmont in almost 80 years, 85 years. And so what we did was we closed the front nine and we played the back nine, two loops. And we play like the blue tees the one time and the white tees the next time. And so we played the back nine, and then on Memorial Day, he opened up the front nine. So we're able to play all 18 holes now. All the greens were done. We've had great weather. And so we've been playing on all 18 holes. On the back nine right now, we're playing through construction on some of the holes in terms of the fairway bunkering and the fairway work that they're doing. So the front nine is fully complete. There's no more work left to be done on that. And it is, it is amazing. He's lengthened some holes. Um, you know, he took the, the the third hole with the famous church pews on the left. He lengthened the church pews and he lengthened that hole by 40 yards. Uh, he's lengthened the fourth hole, par five. He's lengthened it by 40 yards. And he has put in a lot of the old bunker features that were there and also increased the amount of strategy. So Oakmont had over the years become very, very a corridor-esque. You know, every hole was basically straight. You had bunkers right, bunkers left. And when you go back and you take a look at these old photographs when Mr. Phones is alive, the fairways weren't like that. There was a lot more strategy involved. And over the years, as golf committees and golf chairmen have gone and, and, and tinkered with the golf course to a certain extent, the only thing that I can really say that is that over the years, they've never touched the greens. They are the original greens. So thankfully, somebody you know didn't get the idea to start changing those. But they really straightened the, the fairways and they straightened the corridors. And so now what you see is you see a little bit more serpentine flow in the fairways, which brings out a lot more strategy. And uh, the golf course is visually more appealing than it was, but it's going to be every bit as hard, if not harder than it ever was before. Because we're adding some length. But most importantly, we're, gonna, we're adding some hole locations where we've never seen them before and you know, the USGA and the PGA Tour, their standard used to be years ago, four paces from the nearest edge. Well, it's now three paces from the nearest edge. And so when you cut a hole location at Oakmont Country Club, three paces from the nearest edge and with a dry, firm condition um, with green speed starting at 15 on the step meter in the mornings, it's going to be it's going to be quite the quite the test for 2025 and beyond. Wow. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. It's uh, amazing that a, a golf course that was probably already the the toughest if not one if it's not one it's it's one a toughest golf courses on the planet to now add some length and make it a, even harder oh my goodness yeah Can't it's beautiful well, i tell you chris i told you last time we were on i will get you out there in 2024 so you can you can preview it so what we're going to do is that we are going to we're, we're playing on all 18 holes right now and then on the monday the, the tuesday after labor day uh we're going to close the back nine so the greens complexes can be done 
So the fairway bunkering complex, the fairway bunkers on the back nine are being done right now, but we have to shut the, we have to shut the nine holes down to be able to do the extensive work on the periphery of each of the greens and the, and the bunkering around the grain complexes. We're going to open up all 18 holes in May of 2024, Memorial Day weekend, May of 2024. And you and I will figure the time we can get you up there, maybe the fall of 2024, where you can play. I look forward to that. I'm going to hold you to it, my friend. I'm in. I'm in, baby. <laughs> all right. Bob, I've been looking forward to getting your thoughts on this proposed partnership between the Public Investment Fund and the PGA Tour. We know Jimmy Dunn and Ron Price were meeting with Congress today. Jay Monahan, Greg Norman, Yasser Auermeyer, they've uh, decided not to testify just yet. They had some other things that they had to do. Schedule conflicts, I think, is what they called it. But what are your thoughts? What do you think happens from here? Well, th this is not surprising. You know, this was this was something that that it was inevitable. You can't have, you know, twenty percent of the best players in the world playing on one tour and not having access to the greatest tour in the world. I mean, there was this was going to have to give. You know, the, everybody is really kind of blaming Jay Monahan, and I get it. You know, he had these people, these guys, these players, J JT, uh, you know, Jordan Spieth. Um, Tiger Woods, all these guys gave up enormous amounts of money to be loyal to the PGA Tour. And here you go. You're going to invite the guys right back into the fold after they left. I don't know what those details are going to look like, but this is what the scuttlebutt that I had heard is that um, the Live Tour, the guys, the top players playing in the Live Tour, were, were really kind of not pleased with the direction that the actual physical tournaments were taking. Um, I watched a couple of them. It was kind of hard to watch. You know, the idea of playing 54 holes, playing in shorts, music all over the place. Um, it really was one of those things where a number of the, the top players very quietly were like, this is this is kind of lame. And although they were making all this money, everything else, obviously no world ranking points were awarded. I think it was a big shot in the arm for verification, you know, when Brooks Kepka won the PGA championship. But at the end of the day, you knew this was going to happen in some form. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think it's great for the game of golf. Um, I'm delighted to see and, and read that Greg Norman is being forced out, which he should. He's been a very disruptive figure in on the PGA Tour since the mid-90s. Um, I have some personal interaction with him. I'm not a big fan. I just think that he has had a burr up his rear end for the PGA Tour for almost 30 years, if not more. Um, a lot of those guys are like, yeah, we should have this very elite tour and uh, you know, just take care of the, the elite players. That's what he was always shooting for with the PGA Tour. But the fact of the matter is, when you take a look at it, you know, Greg Norman did not start, start out as an elite player. You know, He had his first breakthrough at the 1981 Masters when Tom Watson ended up winning, and he really burst on the scene. But you know, just like every player that's trying to you know, get their playing, uh, you know, trying to get their playing feet underneath them, you know, you need to be able to play in tournaments and compete against the best players in the world. So Norman had forgotten about that long time ago. He'd forgotten where he'd come from a long, long time ago. So I'm delighted to see that he is going to be out. Um, I know Jimmy Dunn. He's a very, very capable guy. Um, I trust him implicitly and explicitly. And um, it's all going to work out for the best. I don't know what the detail is going to look like, but I just think we need to get all these great players playing against each other in one spot. And I don't know if the team concept is going to go away. There's some people saying they might, PGA Tour might uh, roll that into, you know, the, the final format there, have some team events or whatnot. But I just think overall, I just think that um, this was inevitable. 
I don't blame Jay Monahan. I don't blame anybody. Um, but I just, I'm just glad to see that this nonsense is finally over. Cause I, I watched it and it's like, this is kind of, this is kind of lame to have these guys out there playing. And I'm an old school guy. I think that, uh, you know, when golf professionals compete, I think they need to be wearing slacks. I'm perfectly fine with professionals wearing shorts and practice rounds and it, when they're at their casual club, but you're out there representing the PGA tour and you're also representing, you know, the corporations that are sponsoring you. I, I think you ought to dress like a gentleman and wear long pants. Bob, you mentioned Jay Monahan and the word trust. I know he's set to return from his medical leave next week, but I don't think that Jay Monahan can recover from this. After he misled everybody, including the 9-11 families, and essentially did the exact same thing that he suspended the players who went over to live did, he hung Rory out to dry, and he so badly mishandled the situation from the very beginning I don't think anyone involved with the PGA Tour, including the players, the fans, and again, the 9-11 families, can ever trust him again. I don't know how he can come back from this. I, I don't, I, I tell you what, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, my point is, is that he was put in a very, he was in a very difficult situation. Um, in my opinion, I agree with you. I, I will tell you, Chris, I don't, I don't know if he survives this. Um, I don't know in the long run if, if he is going to, end up being, you know, forced out would not surprise me. But at the same time, too, he was he, you know, he didn't create this problem. Um, the problem was created by, you know, the, you know, the, the, the Saudis and them basically trying to clean up their image with the game of golf. Um, and look, no country is perfect. I mean, obviously, we're the most perfect of all the countries. We try better and best uh, to get it right time and time again. But Saudis have a lot of baggage there. And I just think that them getting into the game of golf was a way to kind of maybe whitewash some of the sins that are still occurring there. Um, but I don't think, I I don't blame Jay because he was really stuck between a rock and a hard place. I also think that there was obviously some litigation that was going to be coming up, which could have damaged the PGA Tour. So I think at the end of the day, he tried to do what was in the best interest of the PGA Tour. But like you, I don't think the players will trust him again, and I honestly don't think that he's going to be able to hold on to his position. Bob, switching gears a little bit, I saw your comment on Tom Pertzer's post about visiting uh, the Ping Putter Vault, and you said you've got a putter in there? I do. I was in 1991, as you relayed. Uh, I won the Fort Wayne Open. I shot 71, 66, 64. This is back when these were 54-hole tournaments, but I shot 71, 66, 64, won in the fourth extra playoff hole, against Dennis Trixler and Jerry Anderson. And at the time, I was using a Ping Zing 2 putter. And so I won the tournament in June. And uh, by the time November came around, I opened up a box from Ping. And it was a, uh, a gold-plated uh, Ping putter with on the face of it. I still have it. On the face of it says, Ben Hogan, 1991, Ben Hogan, Fort Wayne Open. And so what Ping always did, famously, as everybody knows, they send – uh, if you win a PGA Tour sanctioned event or LPGA sanctioned event with a pink putter, they send to you that gold-plated putter, and then they also have a, they make an identical replica, and they keep it there uh, in in uh, Phoenix. So I've got one in there. Wow, that's fantastic, Bob. As an LSU alumni, I got to believe you you got pretty excited when they won the College Baseball World Series a few days ago. What was that like for you? Well, I mean, obviously having a baseball background, I'm a huge Huge LSU fan. Um, I went to school there, 82 through 86. I bleed purple and gold. David Toms and I played in the same team together. Emlyn Aubrey played with me as well. And 
Uh, you know, we're constantly, especially during football season, we're constantly texting each other back and forth. I went to a game last year. I uh, went to the Ole Miss game last year in Tiger Stadium. Um, look, it, it, this is a this was a very, very talented team, maybe the most talented team in baseball. And when you have the number one and number two picks in the MLB draft, um, that says an awful lot. And you got a lot of guys that went in the first round. Um, but, you know, here in Pittsburgh, we're very excited about Paul Skeens. Um, I take a look at him and you know, he's a big right-hander. He's built like Roger Clemens. He's built like Tom Seaver with, with big rear ends and big legs, which generate enormous power without a whole lot of stress on the arm. Um, you know, against Wake Forest, he was he had over 100, threw over 100 pitches through seven innings and was still throwing pitches in the, in the low 100s, uh, even after over a, a north of a 100 pitch count. Um, you know, Dylan Cruz goes to the Washington Senators or Washington Nationals, I should say. And, uh, you know, we're just delighted to have Paul Skeens. I played in the Pittsburgh Pirate Alumni Golf Tournament yesterday at South Hills Country Club. And Steve Blass was there. Steve Nikosha was there. Kent DeColvey, Kevin Young, all these old pirates. And, every, and I, of course, I had to wear my LSU hat and my LSU shirt. Um, and they were all just talking about Paul Skeens, and they just couldn't believe how enjoyable and how much fun it was to watch that College World Series. So very excited here. And uh, very excited for Paul Skeens to become a Pittsburgh Pirate. The kid is so darn good, he could probably end up starting next week. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and to that point, do you think that this is this is a kid that they'll be able to keep for more than a, you know a few years? It seems like Major League Baseball rosters are littered with former Pirate pitchers that are dominating somewhere else. Garrett because, Cole. Look yeah, at Garrett Cole. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, it's not just Cole, but it, I, it, it just I, I makes me crazy to see that. Well, I think what's going to end up happening, no, hopefully, hopefully, uh, nutting, uh, we'll get it through his head that, you know what, you're going to sell more tickets. You're going to make more money if you're competitive. You know, we brought Andrew McCutcheon back this year. I've been to four games this year. It's a great product. I love the pitch clock. I love the changes they've made to Major League Baseball. But at the end of the day, uh, you have a competitive product here in Pittsburgh at that beautiful ballpark, PNC Park. Um, you're going to put 30, 35,000 people in those seats uh, from Memorial Day on through Labor Day. And if you're competitive, um, you're going to make a heck of a lot more money. So I think at the end of the day, it was funny because I was actually talking to Steve Blass yesterday. We were talking about skeins and he 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 loves him. And, you know, Blass said, well, I, said yeah, I hope they hold on to him. He said, look, he said, hopefully they get him in here and they bring him up here quickly and he's ready to go. And he said, but the fact is, if, you know, if we get five years out of this kid, he said, think about if if we are making moves, um, what we could possibly get for a guy like that uh, if he has a career that we think that he's all capable of. So I'm, I'm like you. I want to see the talent stay here in Pittsburgh. I want to see the Pirates get in the pennant race. But uh, right now, it's just it's all it's all reveling in the LSU purple and gold here in Pittsburgh and excited to get Paul Skeens in the Bucko uniform. Bob, tonight is the All-Star Game, and your father started and was the winning pitcher in the 1956 All-Star Game. And one of the many amazing stats from his career is that he didn't miss a start due to injury for 14 straight years. Throw that in amongst the All-Star Game appearances, winning a 1960 World Series, his durability, and the other stats from his amazing career. For our listeners that are too young to remember your father as a player, talk about who he was on the field. Well, he ended up he ended up playing in four All Star games, um, and he was the first Pittsburgh Pirate to start uh, for the National League in the All Star game in 1956 against Billy Pierce. 
1956, he struck out Mantle, Barra, and Williams in the 1956 All-Star Game. He was 25 years old. Um, he basically holds every Pirate record you can imagine. And over a 16-year career, he pitched 3,611 innings, finished with a lifetime ERA of 3.58. In 1955, he was the first player in National League history to lead the league in ERA and have the team finished in last place. So he was, you know, he was going to actually go and sign with Brooklyn when Brand Shuckey was there. Ricky ended up coming to Pittsburgh, and he told my father, "said Look, he said you can you can stay here in Brooklyn. They want you, but I'd really like to have you in Pittsburgh." And so my father, whose dad had died when my dad was 16 years old, made the decision that he was really looking for a father figure. And uh, he decided to follow Branch Rickey. And as I, I alluded to the fact to my father numerous times, I said, geez, had you been, had you gone to Brooklyn, you might've been Hall of Fame. He said, well, had I gone to Brooklyn, he said, I never would have met your mom. And he said, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be here with me today. <laughs> so, so it all worked out pretty good. But he was, he was a good ball player. He had a, he threw a natural sinking fastball, probably in the low to mid nineties. His curveball was pretty good, and he had a pretty good breaking ball. But he was, most importantly, as you, as you alluded to, Chris, he was tough. He didn't miss a start for 14 years. Every fourth day, went out there, did his job. Uh, one year against the Cubs, might have been in 55. He won uh, both games, a doubleheader against the Cubs. And um, he, was, he was quite the guy. Really, best man I've ever met in my life. And he was recently inducted into the Pirates Hall of Fame, right? That's correct. Yeah, it was named on, uh, it was named back, I think maybe like May 11th. And it was funny because I was there and my mom uh, was there and said, hey, you need to come over to the house. And so I came over to the house. My sister's living with my mother. My mother's 87 and she's still sharp as hell. And uh, so we're sitting there and all of a sudden we see all these Suburbans pop up and park right in front of her house. She lives on a little cul-de-sac. And I look, I'm like, what, what is this? And so they came out of the cars and uh, my mother, you know, she walked to the front door and it, obviously it was Steve Blass who came to present her with the with the Hall of Fame uh, certificate. He's going to be inducted on August 26th during the Cubs game. And uh, my mother came and, of course, she cracked him. She says, my gosh, Steve, I thought this was Publishers Clearinghouse coming to give me a big check. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he was he is he is part of the second class that's going in. And uh, that's going to be August 26th. Well, as a family, we will all be on the on the field at PNC Park as my father's inducted uh, in the as the second class of the Pittsburgh Pirates Hall of Fame, an organization. It's the third oldest in baseball and been around since 1887. And uh, my father, knowing him, he probably would have been a little bit embarrassed, um, but it was a, it's an honor well deserved because he could bring it. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited about the upcoming Steelers season, Bob. I got a lot of faith in Kenny Pickett. George Pickens looks like the real deal. I like the revamped offensive line, the guys they drafted on defense. What are your expectations for the Steelers? It's all it's all going to hinge upon it's all going to hinge upon Kenny Pickett. I mean it just it just is. I mean if you go and you take a look at the NFL, um you have a great you have a you have a great franchise quarterback you can compete. And I'm with you. I like Kenny Pickett. I think he has a lot of moxie. Um he's very mobile. He's got a great arm. And uh, again, I think that exactly what you said. I think they've got a good, they've got a good line around him, and I like their picks that they came up in the draft this past year. So we'll see. I mean, we're big, we're big Pittsburgh Steelers fans here, and uh, you know the, the team right now that looks like needs the most help is probably the Pittsburgh Penguins. They are getting a little bit long in tooth, um, but at the end of the day, hopefully they'll uh, you know they'll get that turned around. But I think the Steelers, I think if you take a look at something, the Steelers probably win 11, 12 games maybe this year. That'd be awesome. It would be you, great. 
And you mentioned the, the Pirate Alumni Golf Tournament a moment ago, but talk about the amount of money you guys raised and who you raised it for. Well, so the deal is Pittsburgh Pirate Charities um, has been putting this golf tournament on for 36 years now. And I've played it since 2004. And each and every year, we raise about $100,000 in one day for the wow. Pirates Charities. Uh, a lot of it goes to the uh, the Children's Hospital Free Care Fund. A lot of it goes to Gateway Rehab um, and some other local charities, Boys and Girls Club type stuff. But they raised over probably over $100,000 yesterday. You had guys like DeColby was there, Steve Blass was there, Elroy Face was there, Kevin Young, um, Neil Walker was there. Uh, you also had Sid Bream, who broke everybody's heart in 1992, but he's a He's a great guy as a pirate. You had Jason Rakers, who was there. Um, Bobby Robertson from the 1971 World Series. Wow. On Candelaria. All these guys were there, all there playing with people in the in the in the celebrity am. I played as a celebrity. Um, and we actually won. I know there's a lot of bitterness with my old Bucko friends, but uh tough break. You know, we shot uh <laughs> we shot 14 under par. I hit the ball very well, and uh, we won by a shot. So uh it was a great event. I got a picture with the Pittsburgh Pirate Parrot, and uh, we were at the funny. Thing is you're sitting there, and you got this guy in the parrot uniform, and I was out there working on my putting, and he saw my LSU shirt. He, you know, he just comes up there, obviously the parrot, and he's and he obviously is a person in there. He goes, he goes, hey, what do you think about that Paul Skeens? So it was kind of like <laughs> just sitting there talking with a parrot, talking like regular people. It's like I'm talking <laughs> to like a muppet here, but anyways. Um, it was a, it was a great day. The weather was beautiful. South Hills Country Club was in wonderful shape. And each and every year, it really is a blast. And Steve Glass is the MC, and uh, literally, he is—he's one of the funniest guys, one of the best hosts you could ever have. It was a great day. Bob, before I let you go, remind our listeners how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and, and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. Well, for the, uh, like, I got to pull it up. I got to make sure I give you the right Instagram. So, anyways, on Instagram, and most of my stuff, most of my stuff is going to be real estate. It's going to be real estate related, but my my Instagram is HH Real Estate MGR Bob Friend Instagram. And so I usually get on there and I usually most of the stuff is going to be about real estate. Um, but, you know, I, I pay attention to Facebook. I pay attention to Instagram and uh, I'll make some comments on some golf posts, this, that and the other. I'm pulling for Rory or I'm pulling for Ricky Fowler to win the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. And hopefully one of those two guys will win something. Bob, it's always a lot of fun getting to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show for the 17th time. I'm already looking forward to number 18. I hope that's really soon. Number 18 and a trip to Oakmont in 2024, Chris. I'm looking forward to it. Same here. Bob, right, take buddy. care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Cheers. See you, Bob. That is a great Bob Friend Jr. And folks, his peers say of him, he may have gotten more out of his talent than any player in the history of the game. Just a tenacious guy out there on the golf course. Tremendous talent. Obviously still doing great things. Really wish him a ton of success. I hope he'll play some more because I know there are more tournaments that that guy could go out and win. And when it comes to going to Oakmont next year, are you kidding me? Count me in. Can't believe that that's out there on the table. And you know that I'm going to take Bob up on that uh, offer. What a wonderful man. What a wonderful friend. He's made a huge difference in this show. Can't thank him enough for 17 times, but really going all the way back to number one when he came on 
that really helped get this show off the ground, and I can't thank him enough for that. Look forward to catching up with Bob again very, very soon. Coming up next is another wonderful friend of the show and a guy who's made a huge difference here for me as well as a mentor and a guest and one of the great amateurs and had a fantastic pro career as well, and that's John Cook. Before I get to Cookie, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2, U-N-D-R.com. 2under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scony.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is Champions Tour Pro, Sirius XM PGA Tour radio host and TV analyst John Cook. Let me remind you about Cookie's background. He is from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. John won six individual titles while he was at Ohio State. He also won the Les Bostead Award for the lowest stroke average in the conference each year from 77 to 79, and he was inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Marco Mira in 79. He won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 75 and the Ohio Am in 1978 and 79, and he would later go on to turn pro in that 79 season. He won his first PGA Tour event in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am by beating Hale Irwin, Bobby Clampett, Ben Crenshaw, and Barney Thompson in a playoff. He won again in 1983 at the Canadian Open. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour, 10 more times on the Champions Tour. He has seven top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 1992 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. In 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame, and I couldn't be more excited to have him back with me again this week here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Cookie, thanks for coming back on the show. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is Champions Tour Pro, Sirius XM PGA Tour radio host and TV analyst, John Cook. John is from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up out in Southern California. 
He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. John won six individual titles while he was there at Ohio State. He also won the Les Bostead Award for the lowest stroke average in the conference each year from 1977 to 79. And he was inducted into the, into the Ohio State Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Marco Mira in 79. He won several amateur titles, including the California State Am in 75 and the Ohio Amateur in 1978 and 79. And he would later go on to turn pro later in that 79 season. He won his first PGA Tour event in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am by beating Hale Irwin, Bobby Clampett, Ben Crenshaw, and Barney Thompson in a playoff. He would win again in the 1983 season at the Canadian Open. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour, 10 more times out on the Champions Tour, and he has seven top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 1992 Comeback Player of the Year on the PGA Tour. And in 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame. And I couldn't be more excited to have him back with me again this week here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Cookie, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Chris. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. That's a nice intro. I forgot a lot. I mean, a lot of that is so long ago, last century, I've forgotten about a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> John, I, I want to start out getting your thoughts on what's going on with this public investment fund and the PGA Tour, whether you call it a, a merger or a partnership. I know you and Craig Can talked about it the other night on your fantastic show, Connected. Folks, be sure to listen. Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern time on Sirius XM Channel 92. But what did you think when you first heard, hey, there's going to be a press conference between Jay Monahan and, and uh, Yasser Auermeyer on CNBC? What did you think about when you first heard that was going to happen? Well, that was pretty shocking, to tell you the truth, Chris. And, um, you know, as, as the layers started to peel away, you got a, a better idea of what, you know, what was going on. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of bittersweet for me. I'm a, I'm a PGA tour guy. I sat on the uh, policy board on the PGA tour, uh, 2000 to 2002, and then twice on the PGA tour champions policy board. So I, you know, I've been in a lot of those, you know, uh, board meetings and sat with the you know, independent directors and the commissioners and the presidents. And, you know, I know what goes on in those meetings, but to, uh, to find it out without anybody else knowing I was, you know, I was a little taken away, honestly, um, as the layers started to, you know, peel away, you got a better idea of what was going on and, you know, a little bit more understanding on why they didn't include any of the player directors or the other independent directors, uh, other than Jimmy Dunn and Ed Hurley, uh, along with, uh, Jay Monahan. So I, I kind of get that part. And as things are starting to go along even, uh, uh, further, uh, there, Chris, we're, starting to get an understanding on uh, why the tour did it, um, what, what's in it for the PIF, and that's just a, a basically a, a seat in the room. Um, it, it sounds like not a whole lot more than that. And uh, Yasser was going to have a seat you know, in, you know, in that room um, with the independent directors and sitting on the board. So I, I kind of understand those things now, but you know, it's still very early. I think, you know, listening to a lot of that yesterday um, as much as I could, uh, it's it, it basically what they entered into was an agreement to get to an agreement. <laughs> um, 
but with all the uh, with with all the litigation um, being prejudiced and and um, put aside, that that cannot come back. Uh, which I think is a good thing, as the tour was bleeding money in uh, legal fees um, and you know their general fund and and uh, the, their reserves were starting to uh, dwindle away a little bit. Um, they can't have that, but they still have the power. From what I understand uh, of the you know ruling body of the PGA Tour and its entities, um, and whether Live Golf is going to be a part of that entity, uh, and does Jay or whoever is going to be the commissioner um, have uh, control over that as well? So you know that that's remained to be seen. I guess there's been uh, some some talk, some suggestions made by. Uh, the PIF on what they want in this agreement and the tour has shot them down. So they're, they're, they're holding, they're, they're holding steady uh, on a, a number of issues. Um, and it, they're, they're in it to benefit the players. They're in it to benefit the sponsors and they're in it to benefit uh, the, the, the fan uh, experience at the, uh, at, at the PJ tour event. So, we're, we're, we're early, early in, in this right now. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. And John, for people that have been talking about whether the live players are going to have an opportunity to come back to the PGA tour, are they going to have to be suspended? Are they going to have to pay a fine and all that sort of thing? And, and their way back to the PGA tour. I mean, my question is more about, is there a way back for Jay Monahan? I know he's supposed yeah. to return from his medical leave next Monday, but I just don't see a way that the players, the fans, the sponsors, the nine 11 families who he said he stood with. Can he, can anybody ever trust Jay Monahan to be a leader out on the PGA tour anymore? Is there, is that possible? That's a great question, Chris. And I asked myself that in, in amongst our conversations with uh, everybody that I work with and other players. And, um, you know, that is the question, uh, I like Jay. I've known Jay a long, long time. And uh, he's a he's a good man. He got caught in the middle of something. I think it was a little bit uh, just a, you know, a little bit out of his realm, uh, perhaps. And uh, I, I'm not sure he can regain the trust of uh, the player directors. Uh, I'm not sure he can gain the trust of the, the player as a body. Uh, those player directors were um, voted in by their constituents to represent them as a as a, a as a body as a whole, um, and to gain that trust back, I'm not sure that he can. Chris, quite honestly, I think um, he, maybe he's positioning, you know, to step aside. I'm not sure who they have in the pipeline. <laughs> Again, quite honestly, I'm not sure, you know, who who can you know run that ship you know, right away. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I, I would not be surprised if he did step down fairly soon, maybe coming back to, you know, maybe try to right the ship a little bit, maybe try to gain some trust back, but I don't, I don't really see that happening. You mentioned the pipeline. Jay isn't a player like some of the previous commissioners. I go back to Dean Beeman, a guy mm-hmm. who really knew what, what it was like to play out on the PGA tour because he was a player. If they're going to start looking at replacing Monahan, do they really need to look at somebody who is a mix of a guy that was out on tour for several years, but also may have some business acumen as well. Is that, is it better to have somebody that's leading the CEO of the PGA tour 
who actually knew what it was like to be a player? Uh, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, there's been some names thrown around and um, yeah, I, I would like to see that. Honestly, uh, of course, you're going to have to have great business minds and, and uh, people around that person because they're not going to know everything, but certainly uh, as far as uh, communicating with, with sponsors, uh, communicating with the players, uh, communicating with business people, that's, that's what players do. Uh, not only do they play great golf, obviously, but you know, that's part of being a professional golfer is just that, is to understand what is going on uh, with, the, with the tournaments, with the organizations, with the sponsors, with the fans, also with the charitable organizations that these, uh, these great events um, are, are making money for. So that's part of being a professional golfer. Uh, obviously, your first, your first job is providing for your family and playing the best golf that you can. But there are a number of uh, players out there that could um, probably fit into that role uh, as long as they have some other, you know, like-minded people around them uh, that have that experience as far in, in a courtroom or in a, in a you know, sitting in more boardrooms. Um, if you have a, a team assembled uh, like that, I think that, uh, you know, a, a player could, could step into the role. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but uh, there, there's some names out there that I think that would be very good. Who, do you mind sharing a couple of examples? I don't want to put you well, on I the know. spot. No, <laughs> uh, Joe Ogilvy has been, um, his name has been thrown around a, a, a number of times. And Joe's a, a dookie. <laughs> he's a tournament winner on, on, uh, on tour. He's a businessman. He's a, he's a, you know, economics guy, uh, you know, super, super smart. Peter Jacobson obviously can, he can juggle a lot of balls <laughs> in the air um, as great as he is. Um, so, I mean, there's, there are names out there. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some others that would be, uh, you know, that have that sense that could step into that role. But uh, those two have been uh, uh, names that have made lists uh, in the past. Uh, so you, you could probably start there. Yeah. And you're not the first person to tell me Joe Ogilvy, by the way. So I know there's a lot yeah. of respect <laughs> out there for Joe. Yeah. Hey, you've mentioned sponsors. and. When I start to look at the elevated events and how much money in the purses and how much that has grown and gone up over the years. I know Rory talked earlier this year about some players, not him, but some players may start looking at skipping a major because the elevated events have a higher purse than some of the majors do. Is that where the PIF needs to come in? Because if the PGA Tour is going to continue with these $20 million purses. And we've seen AT&T back out of the Byron Nelson to focus on the pro-am because of how much it's costing them. I have to imagine other sponsors are starting to choke a little bit on the price tag to sponsor a PGA tour event. Is that where the PGA tour is going to need the PIF to step in in order to keep the purses up at this level? Boy, Chris, that's a slippery slope. Once you start going um, you know, in that direction. And that, that was a forced hand of the PGA tour of what live and the PIF, uh, kind of forced on them. Um, you know, Jay had in, and the board, they, they had to figure something out. So they reacted, they didn't, they weren't proactive in that. They were reactive in, uh, what the purse structure was going to be. And the, the first, you know, the, the first dominoes really, you know, to, to light up their eyes were those sponsors that had to come up with that extra money. 
um, you know, to take their events from, you know, 10 million to 20 million and the elevated events, you know, around the major championships, um, you know, quite honestly, you know, these, these professional golfers are professionals, their names are on their bag uh, and that's what they do. So, um, but you can see kind of the wear and tear um, of some of those players uh, with, you know, with these elevated events and, um, you know, the requirements involved uh, of those players. So, um, you know, when, when the sponsors have to come up with more money, that's a little bit less than their charitable donation pocket and their foundations. And it's a little, it's a bit of a trickle down. And I, I would not blame any sponsors for kind of saying, Whoa, I'm pumping the brakes here. I'm not sure, you know, especially if my CEO and, you know, my chairman of the board are not great golf fans, how am I going to present, you know, a, an increase, um, to sponsor these events, you know, are we getting our money's worth? Are we not, maybe we're not getting the players that we want to have come play uh, that the tour had said that, you know, would come play. Um, so that you got to take a lot of that in consideration and you're starting to see some sponsors kind of back out. Like I said, AT&T is no longer the, the longtime sponsor of the Byron Nelson. Um, they're focusing on Pebble beach. Uh, I can understand that you want to go to the well twice. Well, no, not, not with us. You're not going to, you're not going to dip into our pockets twice. So I, I, I kind of understand that. And PGA tour is going to have to be very, very careful on, um, you know, who, who, who they're bringing in as sponsors and the sponsors are also going to be very, very careful on how they spend that money. Yeah. To your point, John, you, you mentioned a slippery slope. I have to imagine if they're going to ask the PIF to step up and fill the gap on some of these sponsorships, I mean, as we all know, ye who has the money makes the rules, <laughs> right. right? So if you're sure. going to start asking me for a bunch of you know millions and millions of dollars to prop these elevated events up, well, guess what? I I'm going to want a little more influence than what we have talked about so far in this sort of uh, uh, structure for what mm -hmm. this partnership or whatever is going to be. I think that's where it starts to get really slippery. The no more doubt. you're going to ask the PAF to do, the more a yes or our mind is going to want to have a say in how things get done. No question about that, Chris. That's exactly right. And uh, they have to be very, very careful on uh, how they're going to approach these sponsors and um, you know, these great events. You got to remember, too, that they're, they're, these are community events. You know, these, these are the, the Lexingtons. You know, these are um, you know, some of the, you know, these wonderful, wonderful events uh, that, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, you start hurting their bottom line. That's when you start hurting their foundations and their charities. And, and that, that's, that's rough. I was in Moline, uh, last week for the John Deere classic, an incredible community event. Um, and you could just tell that, I mean, yeah, they've got to come up with a lot of money and that just hurts their bottom line. And, you know, when they're, when they're contributing millions of dollars a year to those communities, if that event's not around anymore, who gets hurt? Those charities and those foundations are the ones that right. get hurt, not the players. And, um, you know, certainly not the tour, but uh, the communities get hurt and they have to really, really understand on, uh, you know, who, who, you know, who, who is uh, benefiting and who is not benefiting from these purse increases and uh, these budget increases. I mentioned earlier about suspending the live players or finding them in order to get back onto the PGA tour. And, and John, I just don't see how the tour 
can do either one of those things for, for doing what? For doing the exact same thing the tour just did, which is taking the PIF's money. And I don't understand how they can look at the live players and look them in the eye and say, look, you got to pay this fine or you got to be suspended for doing the exact same thing that we're about to do. Yeah, that's again, you were talking about a, a big, a, a gray area and a slippery slope on, you know, number one, do, do some of the live players really want to come back? They're playing a pretty nice schedule. They're making a, a you know, a, a lot, a lot of money. Um, and do they actually want to come back and then have to play X number of events? You know, they get their major championships. Uh, so that's not going away. So they play their 14, they play their four majors, bam, they're at 18 events. They're making, you know, a lot of money. Um, do they want to come back? Is there an avenue for them to come get back? Well, maybe there's a couple that would like to come back. And they would probably have to you know, serve a suspension. I don't know how they were going to do it, honestly. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where that is, you know, in their structure, but um, it's going to be interesting on, on how is there a pathway back to the PGA tour if they want to come back to the PGA tour um, because they get their four majors and their own events. So um, boy, this is uh, talk about a lot of layers. This is, this is an onion, man. It's got (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of layers to peel off before we're at any resolution at all. Could you see where the live tour and the DP world tour could merge so you know everybody has talked about along the way you know why why go over to live and there was that idea of well we're going to grow the game quote unquote could you see the dp world tour and the live tour becoming a thing and now you're playing most of your tournaments maybe a handful over here in the u.s but the majority of them internationally and that's how you could you know really say hey we're growing the game of golf and we're growing it around the world and do it that way that's a possibility and i've I've thought about that i know the dp uh, world tour uh, kind of you know co-aligned with the PGA Tour or vice versa. Uh, I think that was to kind of lock up uh, you know the DP World Tour players and you know have them you know, have an avenue into the PGA Tour, which I don't think really sat well with the DP World Tour as a feeder tour to the PGA Tour. I'm, I mean, I'm if I was Keith Pelly, I would I probably would have. <laughs> blinked a couple times on that one but that's kind of the way that they they've done it and structured it now if they're all going to be partners perhaps that is a way you know to 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 kind of marry the tours um so you know i i I thought that you know i thought that jay should have taken a meeting early on in the early stages and see how we could work this out Uh, i know that there are fall events maybe the fall events the dp world tour and live could maybe put together some type of a schedule. Um, so those communities in the, in the fall on the PG tour, they don't fall by the wayside. So I think that there's, there's ways that uh, it is a their possibility for, you know, all these tours to kind of coexist. Don, let's switch gears a little bit. And um, you've competed out on the champions tour for many years. How in awe are you? Of Bernhard Langer. I mean, the guy's <laughs> nearly 66 years of age. He just broke the all-time wins record out on the Champions Tour, and he did it in the best way you, you know, possibly could do it by right. winning the U.S. Senior Open. To yeah. me, the guy's unbelievable. It's amazing, you know, the longevity of Bernhard. Um, you know, huge respect for the man. He still has that passion to not only to compete. I don't think anybody loses the passion to compete. It's 
you know, how you go about your business, your preparation that it takes, um, the physical training that it takes, the sacrifice that you sacrifices that you still have to make uh, to be at the top of, of your game and do it now for you know over 50 years. Um, he turned pro when he was like 17 years old. So he's been, you know, training and sacrificing and living this for, you know, over 50 years. Uh, I did it for 44 and I promise you the last couple of years were not that great. And, uh, it, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a lot. Um, but he has a passion for it. He loves it. Uh, and it, it shows and, you know, what that meant to him. Uh, so just, you know, being around him for the, you know, he wasn't out on the PGA tour a lot. Uh, when he was, he was always competitive, but, you know, he's a, a couple months older than, than I am. So he started his PGA tour champions career around the same time that I did. And I know one thing that uh, when I turned 50, my first week uh, was in, in Houston um, at the admin staff, you know, now the insperity and, uh, I shot six under par for three rounds. I thought, okay, that's not, that's not horrible. I got beat by 19 shots. Wow. And Bernhard Linger beat me by 19 shots. And I said, man, I got, I need to either, I need to get a lot better if I'm going to compete out here. Um, so, you know, I knew right then and there that uh, PJ tour champions was no joke. These guys have come to play and for Bernhard to do it, you know, during the eras that he did, you know, for the last 16, 17 years uh, on the PJ tour champions, he's beaten 50 year olds and he's beaten 50 year olds that have won a lot of golf tournaments. And he's beaten other hall of famers and these guys don't lose their skills, you know, you know, rapidly. Like a lot of people think these guys are still very, very good players. Uh, and he's still doing it. I it, huge respect for Bernhardt. The guy whose record he broke was Hale Irwin. And when you first got your PGA tour win at the 1981 Bing Crosby pro-am, the last <laughs> player you eliminated, and that five-man right. playoff with Hale. And in defeat, Hale said of you, John is a special young man. He deserved to win. He is one of the best new young players on tour. And coming from Hale, following your victory, that had to mean a lot. Yeah, I never forgot that, uh, honestly. And uh, Hale's at one tough competitor. I can promise you that. Uh, sometimes he wasn't uh, you know, the most likable guy to play with, but you certainly respected him. And, and I, I remembered that. Um, you know, to this day and what he said about me. And um, I, I've always appreciated that. And Hale and I have always gotten along wonderfully. And, you know, again, huge respect. You know, I played football. Of course, he played football at a higher, much higher level than I did. But I understand that mentality and what he took into the game. So I've always tried to, you know, maybe not emulate Hale Irwin because we played very similarly. Um, but we had that kind of football um, mentality of, you know, competing and, and, uh, you know, a little bit of a, aggressiveness in, in, in the, in the bodies that we had and how we played the game. So, um, I, I've always admired and respected Hale you know, from that day. Um, you know, my first win in 1981. So it was, uh, that was a special win and, uh, to, to beat him and then to, to remain friends and, and, uh, and the respect that we've had for each other, you know, since then, that was, wow. Talk about years ago. That's, that's 43 years ago. So, um, yeah. So, you know, for him to then come out on the PGA tour champions and dominate like he did, you know, in an era where 
you know, Gil Morgan was winning a lot of golf tournaments and Bruce Fleischer was winning a lot of golf tournaments. And, you know, there, you know, that was another great era of, uh, of competition. So um, hats off to both you know, Hale and, and Bernhardt for, you know, all those wins and staying competitive into their sixties. I mean, that's not easy to do. John, back in December, you posted a picture of some of the putters you used at different times <laughs> and levels of your career. And looking at putters today, how in the world did you ever <laughs> use a bullseye putter? I mean, that thing had a sweet spot the size of a dime. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was looking at those putters again the other day, and I only posted those just to let everybody know on what, you know, you could have won golf tournaments with these. And I was just, you know, throwing them out there. You know, I had one of the original Scott Camerons. Uh, Scotty gave me one on the on the practice putting green at the PGA in 1994 at Southern Hills. And I immediately put it in the bag and, and played you know quite well with that putter. You know, that was before he was with a Kushnet or Titleist or or anything. And in that bullseye putter that I had, that was before a Kushnet too. That was just an original John Ruder Jr. Uh, from the early 60s. I I got at Firestone Country Club um, when I was a child. Uh, you know, in the early 60s. So I just I I, I felt proud of those. I had found them. They were they were in storage. Um, and I was just curious on what people thought of those. So it was, uh, I, I've got them in the house and, uh, we have them on, on a little display of a little putter rack that I have. And, and, uh, it, it's quite fun to, you know, pick one up and put a golf ball down and go, Whoa, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, to, to, to try to hit a, <laughs> try to hit a putt, you know, in the, in the center of the face, it's like going back to those old, old drivers. And having to put the golf ball in the middle of the face to have it be effective at all, so um, it's uh, it, it, that was that was quite fun. I got a lot of fun comments uh, from various collectors and various uh, people that know old bullseyes and old know old Cameron. So it was uh, quite a fun conversation. Speaking of old persimmon drivers and old equipment, one of the things, as you know, back in the fall, it used to be silly season, right? Skins games and things of that nature. One of the things that I would love for the PGA tour to do is to have an event where you, where the guys now have to play all that old equipment (laughs) throwback. (laughs) Yeah. Have a throwback game, right? How great would it be to see those guys out there with persimmon woods and balada balls and a bullseye uh, bullseye putter and all of those sorts of things. I think that would be fantastic. It'd be be hysterical. I mean, you could do it at say Harbor town or colonial or uh, somewhere where, you know, you have to put the ball in play. Um, and you have to hit that little heel cut, <laughs> that little squeezy <laughs> heel spinny cut out there that kind of higher on the toe draw um, where you actually had to maneuver it around the club face to actually have a chance to play some of these great golf courses. So um, I, I think that's a great idea. 1992, you got three of your 11 PGA Tour wins. You had eight top tens and 21 events that you played that year. You turned pro later in the year, back in 1979. So 13 years later, you're at the top of the game. How much of that was due to something different you did with your game that year? And how much was perseverance? And as Hal Sutton likes to say, digging it out of the dirt and grinding. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I did. It was more digging it out of the dirt. It was being more comfortable on who I was and who I was as a, as a player. Um, I missed a lot of the year in 1989 uh, with a with a hand injury and, and surgery. 
Um, when I came back in 90, I was, you know, talk about digging it out of the dirt. Uh, I, I was really starting from scratch. And that's when Ken Venturi and I went right to work after I was able to, you know, start digging it out of the dirt. Um, because I, I, I had, um, you know, great motivation from my wife, Jan, and, and, and the family. The kids were young. Um, and and I, I didn't know um, really what else I was going to do. So I had to get better at what I was doing. Uh, there were, you know, better and better players. Uh, in, in 90, I had a really nice comeback year. I didn't win. 91 was kind of the same. Uh, but in 92, something clicked that winter. And uh, I, I started to not think about, you know, golf swing so much that I uh, was really out playing golf. And right from the get-go uh, in, in 92, it, it start, things started to click. And, you know, I, I kind of, rest of the way through the 90s, it, it kind of happened that way. So I, I, I had a really nice run from, you know, 90 through 99, 2000, 2001. Um, that's where I've kind of made my hay. But 92, I, I just felt comfortable. I felt like I was one of the better players on, on tour. Um, and it, it showed, I mean, I had, you know, three wins, I had three seconds, two of those were in majors. Uh, one of them, I thought I should have won there at the open championship at Muirfield. Uh, I had another, a uh, number of other top tens, uh, and then to cap it off with a win in the fall at, at, at Vegas in my dad's event. So that, that just, um, it kind of cemented me. It, 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 it made me proud of, you know, what I was doing, um, I had great support from my family. I had great support from my wife, Jan, um, who, who was an absolute rock and allowed me to, to uh, pursue that. And she knew how good I could be. I, I, maybe I didn't know how good I could be for a number of years. But, you know, once 90 came along and I came back in 91, I kind of solidified that with some more good, good uh, events. In 92, it just kind of all came together. and. Uh, had a nice little run after that. You mentioned Ken Venturi and Ken used to do a segment when he was broadcasting tournaments called stroke savers. <laughs> Always remembered and used a tip to this day that he talked about how to get out of a fairway bunker. Yeah. But what's a, what's a quick tip or a stroke saver that he shared with you that we can pass along here to our listeners. Oh, it was, I, how many hours do we have? I mean, he has a whole book on stroke savers that I, you know, that he, he published. And I, ha I have that book sitting in my library. Um, God, there's so many, Chris. Uh, I think, you know, the, the one out of the fairway bunker, I know he, he wanted you to swing mostly with your arms and upper body and keep your right. lower body nice and still, um, you know, hands in a cast when you're, uh, when you're pitching the golf ball, you know, just, it, it's all arms and, and no, no real hands can really help uh, keep the, keep the club nice and low and level. Uh, so you don't dig into the ground. So, you know, hands in the cast on a takeaway. He would always tell me to show me the toe, John, show me the toe of the club on my backswing. And which meant um, he wanted to see the toe. You know, he wanted to see like a little red dot on the toe of the club. He didn't want to see it shut on the backswing. So whenever we were working, he would say, flash me the toe, flash me the toe. And so I would show him the toe. And sure enough, that would get my swing right on plane again. So it's uh Gosh, so many, uh, so many. You know, a lot of those stroke savers he did on, I would say, 99.9% .9 of those were one take. That he wow. would just get in there. He would you know, talk to the camera. He'd go about his business, hit 
you know, hit the shot and he'd look back at the camera and he'd go, that's how you do it. (laughs) (laughs) He was just the best at that. John, just a couple more before I let you go. You mentioned family a moment ago. Your son, Jason, played his college golf at Pepperdine, then played professionally for a while, then went back to school to Penn State to get his turf management degree. How's Jason doing? Yeah, he's doing great, uh, Chris. Thanks for asking. Yeah, we're really proud of this kid. Um, obviously, he, you know, he tried to, to you know, follow in dad's footsteps. And I, I think maybe if he'd have had my brain and cons- competitive competitiveness, uh, he might have had a real good chance because he's super good. He's a wonderful golfer, wonderful player, uh, shows you know that passion for the game. Um, and he did not want to, you know, s- to step away. Um, he 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 grew that passion for the game into a passion for being outside and um you know being part of the crew and you know, s- you know setting the hole, setting the tees, um, you know, getting the golf course prepped to go play. Uh, he's in a very unique position, Chris, where there's very, very few uh, in that business, in that industry with the you know, you know, golf course superintendents um, that played at a high level that also has that passion for setting up golf courses and, and growing grass and running crews. And um, when he graduated a couple of years ago from Penn State, we were we couldn't have been more proud of the, the young man because um, he he did step away playing competitively, but he stepped right into the industry and he's doing wonderful right now. He's down in Austin, Texas at a discovery land property called Driftwood Golf um, and Ranch. And he is the second assistant to Eric Poles, who was also a Penn State graduate who has, you know, been and built golf courses for discovery land, you know, throughout the country. Um, so he's learning from one of the best at a place that he helped open. Um, and where he goes from there, we, we don't uh, we don't know, but he's loving what he's doing. He's still playing golf at a very, very high level. He got his amateur status back, so he's going to try to you know, play in some uh, mid-ams and some Texas State ams and you know, maybe play in the mid-am. And you know, he still likes to be competitive, but um, he loves what he's doing. He's up early in the morning. He's helping run a crew on the weekend. Um, he's getting a wonderful golf course prepared. He loves going out and talking to uh, the other members on, you know, you know, how they present the golf course. Um, and uh, he's really having a time of his life. John, one more before I let you go. And as you know, I'm down here in Atlanta in the heart of Georgia Bulldog country. I thought your <laughs> Buckeyes were going to get them last year in the playoffs. But how do they you feel about scared. this year's team? Yeah. How do you feel they about have. this year's team? They got a shot? Yeah, for, for a team that was a, a huge underdog, um, they had those Bulldogs a little bit nervous, especially when they called that timeout because that first kick was good. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty pretty confident uh, this year. They uh, Kyle McCord or Devin Brown will step in at quarterback. It's probably going to be McCord, uh, who was uh, Marvin Harrison's uh, quarterback in high school. Um, and he was actually – Gatorade National Player of the Year. So this kid comes with a lot of pedigree. He's been in the system now for for three years, and uh, I don't really see a you know a, a ton of drop off uh, there. I mean, obviously CJ Stroud was incredible. Um, they need to stay healthy. They did not. They were not healthy last year. They didn't have their uh, running backs one, two, and three in that uh, semifinal game. So um, they get uh, Henderson. They get Williams. Uh, you know, the kid um, Hayden out of Tennessee will now be a sophomore. 
Uh, obviously, their their wide receiver room is maybe better than a lot of NFL teams, quite honestly. Um, depends on how the defense comes along, if they can shore up the defense a little bit, um, get that offensive line. I know there's some new names in there, but they're all five-star kids. So, you know, they play the way that they're supposed to play. I, 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 give, them, I give them a pretty good run. They have to beat the team up north. Coach Ryan Day, whatever you do, beat the team up north. First and foremost, <laughs> losing two in a row to them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's got to hurt. Keeps gotta me hurt. up at night. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Uh, John, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can listen to you and Craig and then stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's uh, following you online or it's on social media. Yeah, that's great, Chris. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a, a guest on uh, Craig Can's show. It's called Connected. It's on Monday nights from uh, from uh, 6 to 8 o'clock on uh, Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio, Channel 92, I believe. Um, you can you can hear us there. He's got some always some great guests. He reconnects with some some names from the past. Uh, we have a lot of fun on that show. Uh, also, I'm still doing a lot of uh, analyst work and uh, walking, uh, a walking analyst for Golf Channel, uh, a little bit for the uh, PGA Tour champions as well. And also I do all the college uh, color analysts for the NCAA uh, college events that are also televised on Golf Channel. So um, I might be retired from competitive golf. I still play member guests, member members, pro members, stuff like that. But uh, it keeps my brain going. It keeps me um, uh, keeps me entertained. It keeps me in the game. Um, you can also follow me on uh, uh, John Cook Golf on uh, Instagram and also John Cook OSU. Where that comes from, I don't know. <laughs> on on Twitter as well. <laughs> and we only talk golf. I mean. I, I don't do a whole lot other than if I'm asked a question uh, about the game or about the telecast or about what I saw. Um, I stay, I steer away from going down rabbit holes with people. So, um, but I, I certainly love to talk the game and still love the game. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm still involved. John, it's always a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you. You're fantastic, my friend. I can't thank you enough for all you've meant to me and to this show and for the times that you have been on. This is a, the sixth time I've got to have you as part of the show. And each time it's just been wonderful. I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and, and coming back and joining me again tonight. My pleasure. Always Chris, anytime, just give me a ring. I appreciate it. John, take care my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Sounds good, Chris. Thanks. See you, John. That is the great John cook folks. And at John cook golf on Twitter at John cook, OSU on Instagram, just one of the fantastic players that we've seen on the PGA Tour over the last 40 years and a great amateur player before that and a guy who's come to mean a great deal to me here on this show, like I mentioned uh, prior in the uh, intro and earlier in the show, a guy that has meant so much to me as an unknown mentor. I listened to John, watched John when he is broadcasting golf tournaments and again, listened to he and Craig Can on their show Connected Monday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio Channel 92, but John is just a fantastic player and a wonderful guy and has great stories and, um, like I say, someone who's become very, very important to me, and I can't thank him enough for taking time out of his busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show, like I say, now six times, and I'm already looking forward to number seven. Hopefully, that's very, very soon.
Joining me next is going to be Luke Newland from Whiskey Run Golf Club up in Port Colborne, Ontario, Canada. But before I get to Luke, I want to remind you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelgolf.com. And folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speed Bolt at squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Luke Newland. Luke is the co-owner of Whiskey Run Golf Club up in Port Colborne, which is in Ontario, Canada. They are a family-run golf course, and they have been for over 30 years. Luke is the co-founder also of Birdie, which is a golf tee sheet software that helps course owners maximize their revenues and get tee times booked and paid for online. And I'm excited that I get to have Luke as part of the show with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Luke, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Luke, from reading about Whiskey Run, I know your family has been dedicated to the course for over 30 years now. How'd your family get involved with it? Yeah, my father built it uh, back in 1989. Started off as a, a nine-hole course, um, turned into 18 in 1992 and 27 holes in 97. And recently, in the last couple of years, we converted our original nine, which is a uh, more of an executive style nine. We've turned that into a 10 hole course. We got 28 holes. Wow. Yeah. So talk about them. Talk about the fox, the serpent, and the owl. What do people see when they get out there and play the golf courses? Yeah. So the owl, the original course is kind of cut through the trees, a little shorter, more of an executive style. It's a fun nine to play. Uh, a lot of gambling happens on that course. <laughs> We've got the, the fox course, which is sort of parkland style, a couple of holes cut through the trees, but then some nice open holes there. And then the serpent is our uh, the final nine that was built in '97. That's it, ha it has more of a link style. It's more open, but there's a lot of water on it that comes into play on seven of the nine holes, actually. And Luke, I love what you guys have on your website regarding your driving range. You say, "Don't practice until you get it right. Practice until you can't get it wrong." Talk about the driving range and and the opportunity as well to get some lessons there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're very fortunate actually to have a, a great teaching professional in uh, our PJ Pro, Jeff Roy here. And um, I mean, the driving range, yeah, practice, <laughs> practice until you can't get it wrong. That's a great, uh, great quote. I love that because that's just it, right? You just, uh, you don't, uh, you don't practice, you get it right. And then you're like, okay, we can go so many guys you see on the driving range. Oh, hit that good one. 
let's go to the T. <laughs> and then they get to the T and it's just a mess. Right. So you just keep going until you keep hitting those good ones. Say it with all the guys that I've played with before too. It's just, no, no, don't, don't stop. Just keep going. Remember go. what that feels like. Yeah. You guys have a couple of tournaments coming up in the next few weeks and a very special event on Saturday, July 29th. Talk about what's coming up. Yeah. So on uh, July 29th, that's actually a, a tournament. Uh, my sister, because in, in the golf course at Whiskey Run, we have, uh, it's a family owned operator. I have three siblings, uh, older sister and two older brothers. Um, my sister and my one brother are still involved as well as my parents. So, um, my sister uh, had a, a son named Grayson who uh, had heart issues when he was born. So he's been to Sick Kids Hospital here in Toronto, Canada. Um, they've done uh, phenomenal work with him. I'm happy to say he's like a very healthy boy now. He's seven years old <laughs> and um, doing fantastic. But so we put on a charity event uh, for Sick Kids Hospital in the Bat Family Heart Center there in, in Toronto uh, every year. And she, uh, after this year, She'll be uh, up over a hundred thousand dollars raised um, for that, and so that's a really uh, that's one near and dear to our heart. Look, I got to be honest with you. I'm intrigued by your stay and play deal. Talk about the Barrel House. It looks fantastic. Yeah, the Barrel House is a uh, an old farmhouse that can actually uh, we can sleep up to twelve people in there. So we get uh, some groups of guys coming for for weekends. Uh, bunch of rounds of golf staying there you get three groups of four i can fit in there nice it's got a big open kitchen back uh the backyard of it sits on the ninth green of the serpent core so you can see groups as they come in right off the back deck as you're barbecuing and i mean it steps away from our clubhouse as well so you got everything kind of right there yeah it looks like a great place to have a buddy's trip i know my buddies and i we enjoy getting together once a year and going to different places that looks like an absolutely perfect place for something like that yeah, it's it's a nice setup for the for the groups of guys for sure. Luke, where did the idea to start Birdie come from? Well, Birdie was started out of frustration in the golf industry with technology. So um, about a decade straight before uh, we started Birdie back in 2020, uh, I was going through. I've been working mainly in the pro shop and the front line, and looking for software that would work that would really elevate uh, our golf course. And after trying all of them in the industry, I got uh, pretty fed up. And um, actually, my now co-founder of mine, Zach, he referenced me over to Square to use as a point of sale system. So I saw Square, went deep into it. And I was like, okay, this is fantastic. Let's let's go with this. There was one problem. There was no T-sheet. No T-sheet involved, which meant, okay, well, I was literally ready to go in paper and pen T-sheet and using Square. And luckily, after uh, some deep Googling, I came across our the co-founder and the, the mastermind, the genius behind the software that is Birdie, uh, Michael. And we were able to connect and get things rolling because he got started out of his frustration within golf as well. And so there was a mutual sort of frustration that we pulled together. We alpha tested it with my course in 2020. Um, now, my average age of golfer is uh, you know, 70 years plus at my golf course. And before we implemented Birdie, we were seeing maybe about 20% of our golfers booking and, a, and only a fraction of a percent actually paying online. And implementing Birdie, making it easy and simple, 
um, we were able to get that number up over 90% of our golfers booked and paid online. We like to say, yeah, we like to say that we're, uh, we're not a, a golf tech company. We're a tech company in golf. And that means just we're cutting edge technology and we're, we're innovating and using that, uh, the Kaizen methodology, you know, continuous improvement. That's what we've been doing since day one. Um, one of the biggest things I'll say as I'm on, as I'm on a roll here is that uh, one of our biggest improvements, innovations in golf that I haven't seen anybody else do is we got rid of usernames and passwords. So we threw them out the door. No really? more usernames, passwords. That's right. Yeah, they're gone. It's just uh, just your phone number. All you got to do is have your phone number. We send you a text. You put in the code. You're logged in. You book. It's that easy. Wow. So just so everybody out there that's involved in running a golf course or in a, in a pro shop, when there's, mm. when, when you use the birdie system, it's really, it's like, I'm, I'm assuming it's attached to your, to your website. You go in yeah. there to try to book a tee time. You can go in there, pick your tee time, pay for that tee time. You're done. All you're doing is showing up to the golf course and saying, Hey, you know, Hey, the mascara foursomes here. That's it. Exactly. It. You know, our goal is to make it simple and easy for the golfer and for the golf course. So nobody likes sitting in line. I know I especially hated it working at the front line at the in the pro shop, and I'd have a lineup out the door of people just like waiting to check in, pay, and now it's just check in, you're off, you're wow. saying hi, you get the opportunity to actually um, upsell as well as in pro shop merchandise because you're not having to spend all that time to check each individual in, get them paid, no, because it's all taken care of. So now it's maybe you can sell a logo ball or two from your golf course, and 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 that's what you know this is born out of. There you go. Luke, mm. with all the great things that you've done over the course of the years there at Whiskey Run, what are some of the favorite stories that you've heard or been involved with? My favorite story. I think there was one really cool one on one of our uh, club event days where we had uh, two hole-in-ones on the same hole, only wow. like two groups apart. Oh, so, yeah, so I was out on the course kind of driving around during the event. And sure enough, you hear this roar. It's like, ah go check it out and pop over hole in one. Unbelievable. High fives everywhere. Super excited. I'm like, all right, congrats. Best of luck on the next few holes. Drive off. Not too long later, same pole, same roar. Go back. Not another hole in one. It was insane. I'm like, okay, what's it's like 12,501 to get a hole in one, <laughs> right? Like what is it, the chances of two happening on the same hole, two right. groups away from each other. That was I mean, that was, that was pretty, yeah, uh, that was pretty mind blowing for me. That's great though. <laughs> Luke, for the folks down here in the States, when we hear Ontario, Canada, we think a cold and B this time of year, when it's 95 degrees with a hundred percent humidity, we think colder would be nice. What's the range <laughs> of good golf weather up there in Ontario? Uh, good golf weather. We get five to six solid months where I'm at. And, um, yeah, we're probably, you know, May till the end of September is always solid. And then if we're lucky, we can get earlier. We've had it early as March where it's been beautiful right on. Yeah, it all depends where we're located. We're just south of uh, Niagara Falls in, in Ontario, Canada. Yeah. So to that point, for, for those folks who aren't as familiar with Ontario, you're not far from Lake Erie or Buffalo for that matter. Give our listeners yeah. kind of a perspective for where you're at. Yeah, we're like a pitching wedge away from Lake Erie. Um, I guess that all depends on how far you hit a pitching wedge, about 100 yards <laughs> or so. And um, yeah, I'm 15 minutes from Buffalo. 
Wow. Mm -hmm. Luke, for our listeners that want to stay up to date with you and everything that's going on up there at Whiskey Run, whether it's on your website or on social media, how can they do it? Yeah, they can go to, well, they can go to birdie.com, B-I-R-R-D-I.com. Uh, even if you want to take the, the software for a test run, you can take a look. You can actually start up your own course, see how it looks, test it out. You can pretend you're a golfer and book on one of our um, our, our test tee sheets. The um, whiskeyrun.com, that's W-H-I-S-K-Y-R-U-N.com. There's no E in whiskey in Canada. Contrary to popular uh, belief, <laughs> uh, there's actually a cool, cool story behind like how uh, how you spell whiskey. I don't know if you ever heard this before. I have not. Please. So, if you're gonna spell to know where you, to know how to spell whiskey, depending on what country you're in, you just look in whether or not the country has an e in its name. If it does, like say United States, typically spell whiskey with an e in it. Ireland spells whiskey with an e in it, but Scotland, Canada, Japan, no e. Wow. All right. Very Good way cool. to know. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> and that's why, you know, where whiskey run was born out of was actually when we, my father first built the course in 89, when they were laying the irrigation pipes um, for that first nine, they came up with a bunch of whiskey bottles. So as they're taking Is up that right? the irrigation line, yeah. And they wrote the guys who did the template for the irrigation lines, they wrote whiskey run at the top of it. And my dad's like, yep, that's a there good you name. Go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, Luke, it has been great having you as part of the show tonight. I hope you'll come back. Keep us updated on all the great things that are going on up there. It sounds like a great place. And like I say, a great buddies trip is uh, just waiting to happen up there. So uh, I, hope, I hope you'll come back and uh, and, and uh, join me again sometime. Absolutely. And if anybody listening at their golf course, see it, booking system is frustrating for them. Tell them to get birdie. There you go. D-I, brother. There you go. Luke, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Chris, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. See you, Luke. Take care. That is Luke Newland. N-I-E-U-W-A-L-N-D is the spelling of his last name. Whiskeyrun.com is the website where you can go out and check out the three nine-hole courses plus their stay-and-play packages. And Luke is all over social media. You can find him on Instagram. You can find him on LinkedIn. You can find him out there on YouTube doing some fantastic videos. You want to see a little bit of the golf course and see some of the great stuff they're doing, go out there online and check it out and, and follow Luke because uh, he's a hoot to follow. A really fun guy doing really good things. Again, Birdie, B-I-R-R-D-I for our golf course folks out there that are looking for a better way. It seems like Luke has found that better way for you. So go out there and check that out. And you get to try it for free? How great is that? Anyway, Luke's fantastic. I really enjoyed the time. And hopefully we get to stay up to date with the great things he's doing and have him back on the show again a little bit later on in the year. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. I want to send out my sincere thanks again to Tom Patrick, Bob Friend Jr., John Cook, and Luke Newland for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are one of the great golf writers of our time, Ron Syrak, will be back. 
former tour player and fantastic host of his own podcast, Jay Delsing, will be back as well, as will 1978 PGA champion and great friend John Mahaffey. So it's going to be a really fun show, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. Folks, you can find the show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audio Boom, Player.fm, and Good Pods. And my thanks to those folks over at Good Pods for making this show one of their recommended podcasts. Please download their free app and stream your favorite podcast right there on your favorite device on Good Pods. But most of all, my thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.